Right again, good morning this morning. So glad you're here. I want to again welcome you and thank you for joining us at Jericho Road Church in person and online. Wherever you're enjoying God, wherever you're connecting to Him, and how you're connecting to our church, we're so, so excited to have you uh, all over the world uh, blessing us this morning as one church body in multiple locations currently. All right, let's jump into our shouts. What do we do? Love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. Amen. Bless you. Um, we're going to get a chance to do that, loving, other, loving God and loving others, in person on Good Friday. So hear, out, hear me out, church. This is for every single church person. I'm going to ask that every person that calls Jericho Road Church their home who lives in Southern California show up to the church on Good Friday service. I know that we're in the middle of a pandemic, and so we have uh, this option for you. Some of you will be able to, we're going to have an outdoor service right in the back. We have a picture of this. Uh, there'll be chairs in the back part uh, for those of you that are comfortable with masks and outdoors. And those of you that are still a little bit uncomfortable, we're going to ask that you pull up in your car in the back back lot. Keep your windows up. It'll be just you safe in your sanctuary. Uh, but we're going to ask every one of our church members, if you are able at all to get down here on Good Friday to come together for the first time that we've been together in more than a year and a couple of months. And so I know it's kind of a big commitment. It is a Friday night. Uh, I've driven it several times with the traffic. It's not that bad coming down on the Friday night, so don't worry too much about that. Uh, that's going to be a Good Friday service. So we're going to fast all of Good Friday. So from the skip your breakfast, skip your lunch. Normally we do like bread bowls and we break our fast together. But this year I'm going to ask that you just bring your food with you. It's going to be tempting because there's going to maybe be fries in the car. There's maybe going to be a soda in the car. And you're going to be tempted to grab that. But would you just hold on to, to your dinner until we get it? We're going to come together and then we're going to say one, two, three, break our fast together in prayer for that Good Friday service. And so would you just prepare your heart, prepare your mind. Um, it'll be totally, it should be totally safe for all of you who are even very concerned about the COVID. Keep your windows up. Park in that back, back parking lot, so the second back parking lot, and uh, we're going to have a good Friday service together. It'll be all outside. It'll be uh, fantastic. And so I am going to ask, as your pastor, if we can come together as a church all together. Not do a ton of big asks, but this is kind of one. And I know it seems scary, and maybe we haven't ever, you know, in a year been together, but it, that'll be that time. And um, if you're worried about people coming up to your car, just leave your windows rolled up, and they won't come near. They'll just wave, and good to see you, and, and we'll be on campus all together that Good Friday. So pretty exciting. So uh, we're back in our third week here in this disrupted series. I do want to thank uh, Pastor Bryce Vasquez and Journey Church in Tennessee. Uh, I saw this, uh, they were doing this disrupted series and I was like, I'm totally going to steal that idea. And rather than just totally bootleg steal it, I contacted them and I said, hey, can we, can we steal that disrupted theme idea? And they said absolutely and they sent over that intro video that's not why that's not my voice on that one and and they sent over the graphics and and uh, just really encouraged us with that and so i want to thank that church for being able to uh support us and, and just bless us that way and it, it's not someone i knew i just randomly reached out to them and and uh, they were really cool with that and so so thank you uh journey church in in tennessee uh happens to be tennessee and i was like whoa jimmy's in tennessee maybe you should go visit that place i don't know uh, anyway, uh, today we're going to see another uh, famous disruption uh, and the results which come from that disruption as we continue to discover how, how God's interruptions are better than our best laid plans. 
So when I was getting called into ministry, what had happened in my life is I became a Christian. I was so excited for God, and, and I wanted to do all God things. And about six months later, I actually dropped out of school. So I dropped out of college, not recommending it, but just saying that, that's what happened to me. I dropped out of college, and I was praying, like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I was passionately praying every single day for what does God want me to do with my life. Because I had dropped out, so I have a clean slate, right? I could go to college. I could go to missions. I could go anywhere. And uh, I, I was praying fervently and passionately. And that time I was uh, living in Irvine and, and going to church in Irvine. And, and I was just praying and praying and praying. And, and finally it came to the head. I, I was in the park. Uh, there were some geese around. I was in my car. I was praying, God, what do you want me to do? God had narrowed it down in my heart to, like, you know, I said, should I be a computer engineer? No. You know, should I, should I be a race car driver? No. Should I be an astronaut? I kind of wanted to, but no. And so it really narrowed it down to two things. So I was, I was praying over these two things. God, do you want me to be a teacher? Or God, do you want me to be a pastor? Which way can I, can I build your kingdom the best? Which way can you use me most effectively? And I was praying and struggling and praying. And, and I was sitting in my car. And, and as I was praying over that, uh, God just really spoke to me to become a pastor. And, and I absolutely felt his presence. I, I felt his calling in my life. I'm sitting in my car and tears are coming down my face. And I said, okay, God. I'll be a pastor, you know, if that's what you want me to do. And, and I've been a pastor ever since that. And um, sometimes uh, God just speaks and makes it super clear like that. And that, that was that moment for me. And something really interesting happened a few years later, though. A couple of years later, as I was uh, pastoring, uh, pastoring wasn't paying me enough, so I needed to get another part-time job. So I started substitute teaching. And then I needed more money because I wanted to get married. And so I started full-time teaching. And for the next 20 years, I was both a pastor and a teacher. And so sometimes in life, God doesn't give you an or. Sometimes in life, God gives you an and. Sometimes he says, yeah, I want you to be a pastor. Hey, but guess what? I also wanted you to be a teacher on that other hand. And then God gave me that opportunity for 20 years to be doing both of them. And so sometimes God's disruptions uh, aren't so much replacing one thing for another. But sometimes God's disruptions are adding one thing to another. We're building on the things that he's already been developing in you. And we're going to see that his disruptions in our lives uh, are always for our good and for the good of his kingdom if we're available to him. Today, let's check out God's disruption in this famous person's uh, life. His name is Simon. Uh, When Jesus disrupts Simon's life plans, something good happens. So let's check it out. This is in John chapter 1 and 40. Andrew... Uh, Simon's, uh, Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who had heard what Jesus uh, heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, he said, we found the Messiah. That's the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, him being Simon. So Jesus looked at him and he said, hey, you're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. So Simon's disruption moment with Jesus is initiated by his brother. I think that this is so cool because family members are incredibly important to uh, in our faith, in our salvation story, in God's uh, work in our lives. Um, families really have an effect on us. So I would say I want to encourage you to keep sharing with your family. Maybe you have some family members that don't know the Lord. Maybe they haven't met him yet. I, I would encourage you to keep blessing them, keep praying for them, keep loving them, keep encouraging them, um, sharing God's goodness with them so that they could meet Jesus. And this is exactly what, it, what Andrew does for his brother. He introduces his brother to Jesus. 
I know in my own life, like uh, God's disruption of my life, it wasn't just uh, me that was affected. Yes, it was me, and, and yes, God was calling me, but because of the change that happened in my life, I was able to share uh, Jesus just through my actions and my love and with my words to, to both of my sisters and, and my family members. And, and both of my sisters, part of their testimony is that uh, they were, became interested in God because of God's change in me. Now, God did all the work, and I'm not saying that I was part of any of that, except God says, hmm, sometimes he uses the life of us to affect our family members who are very near to us, especially as they watch you change, as they watch you grow. Even as you've been following Jesus for 10 years or 20 years, and all of a sudden maybe God does something else in you, and your family's going to notice it. Your family's going to see it, and you can be a great uh, affector of their lives as God disrupts your lives and as you obey God. Uh, to follow him. We can uh, point to Jesus in all that we do, especially with our family. Never underestimate the power of your like conversion, the, the power of God's disruption in your life to influence your family for good. So back to our, our, our Simon here. Andrew tells him, uh, his brother, about Jesus, and then he brings Simon to meet Jesus, and then Simon has this disruption moment with Jesus. Right away, when Jesus meets Simon, there's this like strange moment. He's like, hey, I know you. From now on, here's a new name. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't often meet people, say, hey, I'm Sam. And they're like, you know what, Sam? Here's your new name. <laughs> like, well, that's so random. Especially, like, we kind of think about in, the, in the, this time, in this culture, a name meant more than just your moniker. It wasn't just uh, the thing you went by. Your name had uh, maybe an even greater weight than it currently has, in, at least in Western society. Your name meant who you are. It was your reality. It was your character. It was your family. It was your values. It was everything that you stood for was your name. And here he meets Jesus, and right away when he meets him, Jesus is like, hey, you're going to be Kephas from now on. He's like, wait, what? Hi. Hi, I'm Simon. You know, you're just renaming me. Now, I think this is really interesting in the Bible because Jesus calls him Kephas. Kephas is a word in Aramaic because that's what they're speaking, Aramaic. And he calls him, Kephas means rock, right? It just literally means like a rock, like boulder or rock or something, you know, that kind of thing. And then I love how the Bible says, which is translated is Peter. Well, that actually isn't translated. That's translated to Greek, but we don't speak Greek. If it wanted to be correct, it would say, which is translated is rock. But uh, then Peter became really famous, so we always kept calling him Petros. Petros is the Greek name for, for Kephas, which is the new name for Simon. But nobody calls him Simon. Nobody calls him Kephas. We all call him this Greek name. And it might be because, like, uh, you know, he uh, goes and interacts with Greeks, and in the writing, they, they use Petros all the time because they're writing in Greek. And so can you imagine if he just used, we could have had first, second, third, Simon. Uh, first, second, second, third, Kephas. But no, we have first, second, and third Peter in the Bible because that's sort of how uh, we refer to him in writing. But his name is really Simon. Petra, or Rock, is his, his nickname. And so, so Jesus gives him this new name, the Rock. And then he asks him if he could smell what's cooking. And uh, Simon said, no, I don't really understand that at all because wrestling hasn't been invented yet. Um, if you didn't understand that, that's okay. That means you're too young. So this stranger gets all personal, renames him uh, rock at this early meeting. Um, and then I'm thinking about, like, is that good? Like, is that good to get your name? Say, you're rock. That's good, right? Like, good like the wrestler, good like a, a rock star? Or is it bad, like, like your head's full of rocks, <laughs> or like you're a blockhead? Like, 
I think the Peanuts character used to say that, right? Like you're all, wait, which did you mean? And uh, for those of you that know Simon's biography, uh, you might have been chuckling because you know that Jesus might have had in mind both. <laughs> Simon is both a rockhead and a rock star. Simon becomes Peter, and, and he says some of the most powerful things in Christianity, and he says some of the stupidest things in Christianity. One time, Jesus tells Simon, get behind me, Satan. So he called, like, so he does some mess-ups, too. And so uh, maybe he's a rockhead, maybe he's a rock star, maybe he's a bit of both. And so I, I think Jesus appropriately names him names him rock. That was their first interaction, his first disruption. Just got a new name, but nothing happened. Then this happened sometime later. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he sees the two brothers, Simon called Peter, called by Jesus Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake because they're fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now this disruption, if, if you're not careful, it just seems like overly sudden, like they left their nets at once. But remember, they had met Jesus before. They knew about him. Heck, like Jesus had renamed the guy. And uh, they had probably been talking about him with their family. They had seen him on other occasions. They had maybe listened to a couple more teachings. They had talked to their friends and family about it for a while. And, and who knows what kind of other encounters they had with Jesus before this time where he comes and says, hey, follow me. See, disruptions don't only happen at your first contact with Jesus. Peter had several first, he had a first contact and he possibly could have had several other contacts with Jesus and his disruption moment wasn't even his renaming moment. That wasn't the name, the, the, day, the moment he got all in for Jesus, he got all, all excited and, and gave everything to Jesus. That wasn't his moment. It was some time later. Our salvation moment may not be your only disruption moment. Maybe you became a Christian and, and God didn't immediately call you into ministry or to go to missions, but that doesn't mean that he won't. That doesn't mean that a disruption moment isn't coming for you sometime later like, like Simon here. See, God's disruptions come at all sorts of points in our spiritual journey. There is a disruption point that causes you to say yes to Jesus, but then there may be uh, a few years later another disruption point that causes you to say yes to the lordship of Jesus. Like you were like all in on the salvation, but then you were just kind of living, living, living. And maybe there's this disruption that says, man, I got to not just live my life. I got to live fully for God. And so you just say, God, now I want to fully make you the Lord of my life in this disruption moment. And maybe then you've been living and you've been working and you've been doing something else. And then there's another disruption where you say, God, I need to readjust like we were talking about last week. One degree, God. And I need to make that in the, the middle of my journey here. See, God's disruption points aren't just a single point. When I, we talk about disruption of God, it just doesn't mean for salvation. And then you stop listening to Pastor Sam this morning. Rather, disruption moments come all throughout your spiritual journey because God wants to get your attention. Because he wants to do good things through you, in you, and to you, with you. So they happen all throughout life. Now, for Simon, it may have been really important that he took a while before his disruption moment happened. You see, Simon is a fisherman, and it's been said many times that fishing is the perfect training ground for what God was going to do through Simon. See, in fishing, he learned to be patient. In fishing, he learned to persevere. In fishing, he learned to deal with difficult circumstances in the weather and with, with things that go wrong on the boat and, 
and he learned to be self-sufficient, and he learned to, to be brave. And in fishing, he learned how to not get discouraged if the fish weren't biting. He learned that, that maybe it was just that spot, and if you move to a new spot, the fish will be biting. See, those are important attributes for someone who's going to go into evangelism and building the church eventually. Fishing is hard work. It's goal-oriented. And it takes a movement of God to find the fish. And so maybe Simon's disruption moment came a little bit later because God was training him this whole time. So really, God takes his vocation, which is fishing, and he puts it on this like gospel super serum. He goes, I'm going to take you from fishing for fish to fishing for men for the purpose of, of, of good things, of building God's kingdom. See, God's disruptions will always put you to kingdom work. God's disruption will always put you to good work for him. And God could do this for every vocation. Now, I wonder how many of you are in vocations, and maybe you were thinking like, what am I doing in my life? But God says, you're exactly where I want you because I'm training you for something else. I'm going to disrupt you in just a minute. But I've been training you to fix people's teeth so that you can be out and fix like orphans' teeth in another country. You want to fix a smile? I'll allow you to fix smiles and fix the smile on someone's heart. Maybe, maybe uh, whatever vocation you're in, I think it's training for... Maybe you've been an architect your whole life. And God says, well, I want you to be a builder of my church. I want you to be a builder of my kingdom with the tools that I, you've been learning as an architect. Maybe you've been a manager for a company. God says, I, I really need someone to manage my resources in my church. Maybe, maybe you've been a lawyer. and you say, God says, I, I need someone to really think clearly through God's law to be able to share that and defend that with people. Whatever vocation you, vocation you have or, or you desire to have, even as you've been a student maybe, whatever you've been studying, God says, I want to take that and I want to put it on the gospel super serum. <laughs> like, just like this fishing. He says, yeah, you were fishing for fish. I want you to fish for men. You were doing X for Y. I want you to do it for my kingdom. See, your job may be training for God's disruption. As was the case for Simon... And it was the case for Saul last week as we looked at Saul, uh, whom we covered last week. His, his religious training was important for who he was becoming for after his disruption moment. And so your job may be training for God's disruption, but, but also perhaps it, your job may run parallel to uh, God's disruption. Just like my teaching and my pastoring, they ran power parallel for many years. And, and even like we hear, see here in Simon's life, he, he doesn't give up fishing permanently. So God says, I want you to be a fisher of men. But it, it's not like he never goes back to fishing. In fact, uh, Simon fishes for fish when he goes back home. There's this passage that after Jesus was, was uh, uh, killed and, and uh, resurrected, uh, Simon returns home. Here it is in, in uh, uh, chapter 21. Uh, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. And I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, yeah, we'll go with you. And so they went out and they got the boat. And that night they, they caught nothing and some other stuff happens after this. But it's interesting that, that when he gets home, so he returns to his hometown in the middle of like spiritual stuff happening, like Jesus was 
crucified, he gets resurrected, he's going to appear to them here in just a minute. We're not going to read that passage, but he appears in just a second to them again. But in the middle of that, he goes back, he gets home, and then he's doing the fishing. That's what he knows to do. He goes back, and, and so it becomes, and it stays part of his life. Though he occasionally went back to his fishing business, he also had this parallel thing going on, this additional thing that God was doing in him and through him as God was calling him to be a disciple. Now, I hope that you've noticed several times from these passages about Simon is that he's rather unremarkable. If we think about it, he's just a fisherman. Fisherman's like a, like a warehouse worker, just a warehouse. He's just a regular person. Like a, he's, a, he's a mechanic. He's like just a regular dude. No distinguishing attributes or indications that he could possibly be great. In fact, I would say that there is indication that he is absolutely just regular. Like he was married. He had a home. He worked as a small business owner. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. So it means that he has a, he has a house to maintain. He's got, you know, maybe not a mortgage because it didn't work exactly the same way as it does now, but he has the duties of a household. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering high fever, so he's married. He's got a mother-in-law who's living at the home with him. And he asked Jesus uh, to help bend over and he heals her and that sort of stuff. But, but notice how ordinary Simon is in this passage. He's got a home. He's got a business. He's got a mother-in-law. He's got a wife. He's got a family. He's just living this regular life. And then God disrupts it all. But he still had to maintain all of those things in his life. See, when he became a, a, a disciple of Jesus, he didn't stop being a husband. He didn't stop having a mother-in-law. He didn't stop having a house. He, didn't, he still had to maintain all of those things. He still occasionally worked for the family business. So I want you to join me in like a, a mental exercise and an imagination for just a moment, uh, imagine something with me together. This isn't in the Bible. This is just speculation. Imagine for me, let's map out Simon's life if he had rejected Jesus' disruption, if he had rejected Jesus' call to, to become uh, who we would recognize as Peter, like the Peter. So imagine with me for just a moment. So let's map out what his life would have looked like if he hadn't followed Jesus when God interrupted his life, probably he would have just continued to fish. Maybe he fishes for another 50 years. He takes care of his family. He went on a few vacations. Uh, he went regularly to synagogue, raised his kids. Then he retired. Like everything would have been fine. If I imagine how he would have lived out a regular life. It would have been cool. He got married. His when he got older, his kids would have taken care of him. And it would have been great. Well, it would have been fine anyway. But instead, Simon responds to God's disruption by being available and willing to follow a different path than the one that he had envisioned for himself, the one he had set up. He clearly set up this path for himself. That's the one he was on. He's got a family. He's got a house. He's got a business. And God disrupts him. And instead of saying, no, thank you, God, he says, okay, I will respond positively to your call in my life. I will respond to this disruption by adding something, this passionate, fervent follow of you, Jesus. Now, what's the result of his life when he responds positively to God's interruption? Matthew 16, Jesus says this. He says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon, Peter, he answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, is, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are not, that, that, that you are Peter, you are rock. 
And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So his obedience to this disruption moment makes him Peter, as in that Peter, as an author of the Bible. The, the, Jesus is the cornerstone, and then this is another, the first stone of the building of the church. There was a kingdom benefit to his openness to God's disruption. I mean, I would say a massive kingdom benefit. God used him to do incredible things, important things in the church and in, in the people around him. See, God's disruptions, they're not coincidence. They're not a mistake and they're not random. When he disrupts your life, it's because he's giving you the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than yourselves. He's giving you the opportunity to join his plan, his work, his movement. Again, Peter is extremely famous and he's extremely influential in Christianity. And I'm not saying that every disruption will will cause an outcome like Simon's. But God doesn't measure faithfulness by the magnitude of the impact. God measures faithfulness by faithfulness. And He will determine the magnitude of the impact, not you. God is just looking for you to be faithful. By our reactions to His disruptions, by our openness to His calling, no matter big or small, God is asking us to be faithful as He disrupts our lives. Look, I can only share with you my lived reality. That I, I, every time I have followed God in my life, every time that I've allowed his disruptions to guide me or to change me, or like last week, just to readjust one degree, it has always brought about something good. Every time that I have been opening, open to the new that God wanted to bring, to the disruptions of my life, it has always brought about something incredible for me and for God's kingdom. And I want to encourage you to do the same. God has a way of making all things work together for the good of those who called him. And like it says in Romans 8, 28, that when God disrupts your life, he says, I want to do something good right now. And if we say, no, maybe maybe it just stays fine. But do we want to just stay fine? Or do do we want to be part of something bigger, something good? You want to be part of God's kingdom building. I do. In the little things and in the big things. So let's open our hearts to God's disruptions for the addition of His good things, which He desires to bring to us. The good He calls us to be in the world around us. Let's rejoice together in, in a closing worship song. And we're